Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Charles Bromasco. On the show this week, David Cronenberg commits crimes of the future, Claire Denis exposes both sides of the blade, and on Film Club, we leave all turbs behind and enjoy some street trash. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So, David, new issue is now (laughs) out and about... Is yeah. it, will it be out or will it be yeah, yeah, yeah. just announced? Yeah, so um, I, the reason why you're asking that, Layla, is of course because we're recording this podcast a teeny weeny bit early because you're gonna, by the time this is, this is out in the world, you'll be sunning it on a veranda on the Lido in Venice with, with some kind of like bitter drink with ice and, and fruit in it. Uh, and, oh. and and eating like sardines or whatever it is you do over there, but um, yeah, so we're we're kind of project, yeah, pro- projecting <laughs> into the future here. So yes, the the issue will will be, by the time uh, the the listeners uh, have have access to this uh, this quality podcast, yeah, the, uh, the 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 issue will be out in the world uh, uh, and inspired by a new film by Park Chan Wook of old boy fame. Uh, it's called Decision to Leave, and it played at can this year and it's out in uh on the 21st of october uh in cinemas um in the uk uh and yeah it's a it's it's a it's a juicy issue what can i say i mean like they're, they're all juicy but this is this is very juicy um we've got in, uh, a really great interview with part cham wook um uh sort of kicking things off and then we have interviews with the the, the two cast members the film is basically a kind of I kind of, I, I mean, Charles, you've seen it. Like, what would you sort of say? It's a kind of, I, I find it really hard to to, to describe it because it kind of straddles quite a few different genres. Yeah, I think um, square one in trying to give some of the elevator pitch for this film is that I think it fits most squarely within film noir. Is that this is a detective story with you know betrayal, femme fatales, or femmes fatale. Apologies yes. to the French speakers out there. Um, but of course, you know, as you say, it spins out in a lot of unexpected directions from there. There are elements of uh, kind of unexpectedly slapstick comedy. There is a lot of psychodrama. It's um, it's it's a big feast of a movie. Yes. 
Oh, yeah. Feast is just so the word for it. Um, I was really excited when I found out that this was going to be the next issue because I just love what that guy does with a movie camera. And just, it's so gorgeous, this film. Even when he's going into, like, quite grotesque things of, like, insects eating people's eyes and stuff, (laughs) it's just kind of composed with such elegance. That's very funny you say that, um, Layla, because... Have you seen the new issue then? I've seen the cover. I haven't seen oh, anything inside. W- wow. Okay. Well, you, you've let's just say the insects pe- eating people's eyes thing comes up in the issue in uh, in quite a, in quite a delightful way. So yeah, as well it but, should. As well it should. Wait, 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 and wait and see how it does. But yes, it it definitely does. Um, so yeah, that's on. That'll be on shelves now. You can buy it through our website, um, and you can also get it if you join up as a member which which is which is something you can do also if you just google little white lies membership and that usually that should be sort of take you to the place where you can you can do that so yeah um on to the next one yeah again by the time you uh, uh, are listening to this i'll i'll have been uh, down the mines trying to sort of uh, pan for the next uh, issue of of little white lies gold so uh, <laughs> You got a few in mind that you're kind of deciding between. I was yeah. quite surprised by the decision to leave, but very happily surprised. Well, there's, yeah, there's the I, Lyle the Crocodile film coming up. Oh, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, yeah, that's well, correct. I mean, yeah, and he sings he sings in this one, so that's something yeah. to consider. <laughs> We've never done a singing crocodile film, so you know, never say it's, never. It's high time. So yeah, that's 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 me. Well, Charles, what about you? What have you been up to? You got anything in the new issue or anything exciting around the corner? Um, in terms of features, I don't believe I do have anything for the new issue. It's possible that I may have a review in there. Uh, but in Little White Lies news, I'm getting ready to head off to the Toronto International Film Festival, while I, where I will be representing our interests, at least in part, picking up a few reviews from there and so you can uh, trust your old pal charles as far as festival coverage goes you heard it here first folks will it be another dear evan hansen style catastrophe what's the opening movie yeah well so i i don't really have a bead on any uh eventual disasters quite yet uh what's that the swimmer the like Sally the, L. the Frank Perry movie? No, no. It's, it's, I think it's called The Swimmer. It's, it's a new film by Sa- Sally Al Husseini, who did um, uh, the love, the really lovely film about the bike. Um, uh, this was, that's uh, the opening film. I believe so. Am I, am I? I may have got that wrong. If if there's anything that I'm sharpening my knives for, it's this. Um, God, I, I don't even remember what the title is, but it's a film wherein Lily James plays an intrepid reporter who wants to learn about arranged marriage. So she just hangs out with her one Indian friend for a while and learns how arranged marriage works, and then I suppose leaves this experience an enlightened woman. Oh. Oh my. Yeah. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, I'd not even heard of that. Um, <laughs> Hang on. Well, <laughs> uh, what's love got to do with it like the song oh jesus christ because oh, it's like what he... does love have to do with an arranged marriage more than you might expect oh because i thought that was a tina turner biopic biopic I, I mean, I, if only he... wow i don't know and that i don't know that it's directed, James could do directed by someone biopic. who's who's quite kind of old guard isn't it um um it is directed by uh can cut down but uh shekhar kapoor who i don't yeah, know yeah shekhar he did he, elizabeth he, he, and bandit queen yeah bandit queen elizabeth you know 
He, I think he was nominated for an Oscar for Elizabeth. The synopsis is, is, is really, really puts it into perspective. It says, Zoe is a filmmaker and Kazim is a doctor. They grow up next door to one another, though the worlds couldn't be further apart. Wow. Yeah, makes it think. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, makes you certainly want to do something. I'm also going to see movies other than this. This, this, is, this is not the highest priority that, for me. That's just the main one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we should get a move on to the movies that we are actually have already seen this week. And you guys, I think, both saw at festivals. But yes, let, let's get on to Crimes of the Future. In the future, the human body is undergoing transformations and mutations. With his partner Caprice, Saul Tenser is a celebrity performance artist and publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs. Tim Lin, an investigator from the National Organ Registry, and obsessively tracks their movements, while a mysterious group plans to use Saul to shed light on a next phase of human evolution. You know what, saying that, I again appreciate how much is going on in this film. Uh, you guys both saw this in Cannes, is that right, Charles? Did you get to kind of take in the new Cronenberg off the Quasette? Yeah, yeah, this was actually one of my favorites at the festival. I was, uh, I was pretty cool on a lot of the films there, but this was one that really bowled me over. Um, not just, you know, the simple fact of there being a new Cronenberg movie, after eight years, uh, something that felt like a very remote possibility very recently, just having it at all. But it's uh, it's it's the force with which he comes back. You know, I think you can feel that amount of time in the movie, uh, in that it's set within the art world, and so I think Cronenberg uses that milieu to sort of uh, express uh, a lot of the... I don't want to say beefs, but you can see that there's a certain resentment in the film. Uh, there's a scene where the Saul Tensor character, who is this very rigorous, uh, philosophically sound artist who has a real intellectual framework for his for his pieces, uh, they go to see, in one of the more memorable scenes, another performance artist, a fellow who has sewn ears all over his body and then does a dance. Uh, and you see has he sewn Saul- or grown? Oh, that's a good question. Because this is so. This is a future in which uh, organs are are just growing this way and that willy nilly. So yeah, maybe I'm I'm sorry, but I'm inclined to say mm-hmm. that they are not grown because Saul Tenser specifically points out that the ears cannot actually hear, uh, which he sees yeah. as sort of a compromising of the integrity of the piece. He's like, what's the point of this? It's just a guy wiggling around with some flesh stuck to his body. <laughs> Uh, which yeah, I have to Lea imagine. And Leah does um, some body modifications, so it's no, yeah. people are playing around with this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I guess it's just it's the idea from Cronenberg that within this world of body horror, over which he once reigned as king, and a lot of people, you know, in his absence, have tried to come in and present their own takes on it. It sort of seems like him coming back and being like, "Let's remember what the genuine article is and and why it is that way." I love that framing of it. I didn't kind of really think about it in that way. Um, Yeah, it is kind of a testament to artistic integrity on so many levels. David, for you, were you excited that Gronenberg was making this return to body horror? Because, you know, that's that's only one string in his bow. Yeah, I I, I, I definitely was. I I, I think that... I I, I think I maybe had a slightly weirder... um, experience with the film in the in can it's 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 a it's a strangely kind of soporific film like it's not kind of it's not body horror in the sort of videodrome sense where you've suddenly got like guys 
heads blow like you know bodies just falling to pieces and you know squibs and bl- all that kind of stuff it's 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 a more kind of like yeah it, it's more sort of like slow and talky and soporific and 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 and, qu- and quite sort of melancholy in its own its own strange ways it's like it it's it it's about body modification i mean i i'd maybe even sort of question whether it would deserve the 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 epithet of horror i mean there is there there you know there there is some kind of like sequences of like surgery in it that are done as kind of artistic demonstrations um that but but yeah it's it it is more like the the film excels as a piece of like philosophy and almost i i i I, the more i think about it the the more it feels like cronenberg's like um the like a kind of key to to all of his work like the 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 sort of the, the the rosetta stone if you will of like his his oeuvre that that kind of tries to explain what he's doing and and what his films are doing and his interests in in writing and and and, and sort of speculative science fiction i mean that's the thing it, it maybe feels more like sci-fi than horror to me my experience in can was 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 sort of sl- like I, I was a bit kind of unnerved and and sort of didn't quite know what to make of it upon seeing it and it and it's by far the film that i've like mulled over and thought about and have been excited to to sort of reconvene with the by 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 a country mile and it's definitely one of you know we like little white lies we have the kind of three-tier system of you know in in, uh, anticipation enjoyment and retrospect this 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 one i mean the 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 chasm between enjoyment in the moment and in retrospect is huge like i'm not I, i would probably even say i didn't like in the moment i didn't find it a kind of particularly enjoyable experience but as a as something as a kind of treatise to actually kind of ponder upon and think about and and spend time with it's just yeah it's just it's probably like one of my favorite if not my favorite film of the year like it's uh grow it's like like a like an organ in my uh in my body it is it has kind of grown and metastasized on its on its own and uh i'm now really kind of feeling it um so yeah that's interesting two years in a row a body horror that kind of premiered at Cannes is like taking the top slot for you uh, what was the, what was the other one? Last year, you told me your favorite film was Titan. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, yeah, like re- really, like um, that's interesting. You mentioned that actually. So uh, that what one of the things that I found quite sort of ugly, and I don't, and I, and I'm not blaming Cronenberg or Viggo Mortensen for this, but like I, I'm probably blaming like you know shock shock hungry journalists who in, in in advance of the festival were kind of throwing questions to them about Titane and saying like you know just because because Julia Dorkenau has had said that you know Cronenberg was a big influence on her and you know the, it kind of got them to sort of poo-poo the film a bit and and like there was some kind of competition or you know like they were they were kind of comparable in any way and then you you see the films and they 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 I mean, they're, they're different in some ways, are the same in some ways, but like you know, there's there was no need to be like, oh, what do you feel about this kind of pretender to the Cronenberg throne? 
you know, it, it felt like the only way to be like, you know, the, you could respond respond to it would be like, oh well, you know, who's she, you know? So like, yeah, that was that was kind of ugly, and I wish that hadn't happened. Um, but uh, yeah, let's get back to the film rather than my yeah. um, my, my my little kind of petty gripes at the um, world of. I, I'm- no, I like this film very much, but um, I watched it with three people, and two of them hated it, and one of them left. But I kind of feel that that, in a way, is a kind of testifying to how good it is. Um, but yeah, Charles V. There's such a thing with this. Uh, I suppose in some ways, like to town, where like violence and sex are side by side, and this they continually say that surgery is the new sex. Did the kind of eroticism of it work for you? Yeah, yeah, I think it is a tremendously sexy film uh, in a way, and it's about the unconventionality. I think that's what Cronenberg understands better than anyone else, is that uh, you can really make anything at all into a sexual act so long as you consider the atmosphere of the scene, and I almost feel like, I guess I would call it like the geometry of the action in the scene. For instance, what is this? Uh, There is a scene in which Viggo Mortensen's character, Saul Tenser, goes to get some more body modification surgery which puts a zipper on his torso that you can zip open and zip closed and when he first shows it to his partner Leia Seydoux uh, it really really turns her on and she puts her mouth and I think eventually tongue in there uh, in a sort of simulated cunnilingus and so I think the role reversal of that scene which is not uh, atypical for Cronenberg is that he has I think very loose and liberated ideas about the intersection between gender and sexuality and that gendered elements of sexuality can be enjoyed uh, by anyone with a little bit of creativity and and good old uh, surgical elbow grease. Uh, And so you see that scene. There's another great scene between Timlin and Saul Tenser. Everyone's hot for Saul Tenser, I guess. Um, But just this idea that insertion, not necessarily sexual penetration, but the act of one body entering another at all is like an inherently intimate thing an inherently erotic thing uh which just hearing the sentence maybe you're not compelled to agree but then i think when you see it the way he orchestrates these scenes you know he raises the temperature and you feel what these characters are feeling and so you're like oh maybe i'm into something i never thought i was into before he that that first scene you mentioned by the way is, is like a um uh he he does a very similar scene in uh, existence and, I, yes, and, I'm prob- yeah. and, and probably listeners, you'll know many other scenes where he's done this. But yeah, there's a scene where like Jude Law is kind of has to kind of I think he has to lick the uh, the, the little kind of gaming port on Jennifer Jason Lee's lower lower back. And it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's fruity. It's fruity. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that means something else in the UK than it does in America. Oh, Fruity, okay. fruity just means it's a rather old-fashioned uh, term for for being gay. Like it's. A... Oh, okay. I think I, I think I'm I, I'm maybe using it in a kind of um, it's sort of like sexually um, <laughs> in, in in a kind of seaside postcard kind of way. I um, love I love the exchange between our cultures. That's one of my favorite parts of coming on the podcast is learning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah learning the, how we're alienating our American listeners. Yeah, I mean, there's an incredible sexual kind of tension that Kristen Stewart has with virtually every object in this film. (laughs) She's got this kind of breathy, constant state of arousal. She's been singled out for quite a lot of praise in terms of the performances. Do you think that's fair? Hell yeah. 
Yeah, I thought she was tremendous. I mean, I think people who have resisted her performance, um, it seems like a lot of the people who say that are just saying that she has done a bad job and that her acting is not very realistic when it could not be clearer that that's not what she's going for, that she's trying to do something particular and stylized. Um, (laughs) As she says herself, it has very, very potent meaning. Uh, And so I think if you just look at her as doing a funny voice or trying to be squirrely for its own sake, you're missing how she and her character and specifically that manner fit into the bigger, you know, workings of the film. I mean, Cronenberg is like that the, what, one of the things, I guess beyond the, the, the interest in body horror, one of the things that's been really interesting about him as, as, as a director and it, and, and it, it, it comes up in a lot of films is, is the way he shoots dialogue scenes and not, not just the way he, he has, has this very, 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 rigorous shot reverse shot that that is so kind of like surgically clinical as to almost be representative of his interests in and of itself but like the the way that he has actors deliver dialogue the cadence of 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 things and the 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 the, the volume and the like it there there is a kind of like it's slightly robotic but in quite a it's also in, done in quite a funny way and and you know, like that. There is there is a lot of humor in 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 um, in Crimes of the Future, and I think um, Kristen Stewart's before. I think it's maybe one of Kristen Stewart's funniest performances. I, I I don't want to sort of take away from the sort of sincerity of what she's doing and the seriousness of the of the themes, but like I think the thing that maybe make makes me love the movie even more is that like. That it it never loses its sense of humor. Like there's a there's a kind of bit near the end where it's suddenly someone mentions uh, so, so so Sol Tensor goes off in in this kind of like weird sort of ninja cloak and um, meets this guy in a, in a factory and uh, and and they're they're trying to to lure him into the to becoming a part of this thing called the inner beauty pageant that the, and he and he ha, he's kind of like mulling over whether to to, that he wants to be a part of that, and they're having conversations about what it what it actually is and will mean, and and then, and then he kind of goes away, and that that's that's kind of dealt with. Like we don't get we don't get to see the inner beauty pageant. It's just it's just an idea that's sort of like thrown in there and allowed to kind of exist in our in our imaginations, and that that's just, that just makes like to be honest to 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 have seen it, you'd you would lose the humor in having to like imagine it. Like yeah. you know, there's, there there is. So, I think the film does so much that it leaves you to just imagine it, which is like, you know, some might think that that's kind of selling a viewer short in that you know you want to show it and you want and people want to see it and want to experience it, but I don't know that you know the film is still is giving you so much that you know, um, I don't yeah, I, I, I it, it's giving you so much, but then also this this whole extra layer of things that you can kind of take away and, 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 and sit with later on as I have done. Oh, I imagine that's going to be a very high in retrospect score in that case. Uh, but Charles, do you want to do your scores first? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely came into this at a five, uh, you know, all reared up for new Cronenberg. Um, although I think like David was saying, my enjoyment, I've now seen the film a couple times, my enjoyment the first time I would put at a four just because it is so dense and, and naughty as a, as a text that you spend a lot of time just trying to work your way through it. And then the second time I would put enjoyment at a five. 
which is to say that in retrospect that is definitely a five because I think the second you're out of the theater and can start to digest a word that feels very appropriate given the subject matter uh, the film uh, you get so much so much out of it David what about you yeah I, I would say five in anticipation I'd, I'd done a bit of a kind of Cronenberg rewatch before the festival and was just um, every every I, I seem to do it I, I seem to have done a couple of, of Cronenberg rewatches in the last kind of decade or so and every time I'm just kind of like astounded by what he what he does and you know I think that he is one of the greats and is maybe not heralded as as highly as he should be um, probably a three in in enjoyment when I uh, when I watched it because I I, I I will admit I was completely just thrown by it by its rhythms by by what it was doing what it was saying and the characters and the delivery and it was just completely like mind melting and confusing at the moment in the moment but yeah i mean I, I, having like talking talking about it with people thinking about it it's been a, jo- uh, a joy doing even doing this i feel like we've 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 taken it to the to to, a, to another plateau so yeah a, fi- a five in retrospect um, probably for me, I mean, five in anticipation, anything but a five for a new David Cronenberg, you know, body horror adjacent thing um, would would be crazy. Uh, probably two fours enjoyment and in retrospect. My only kind of hesitation is that it, there, there was a little bit of kind of gearing up in the kind of final half hour or so and then that abrupt ending. And sure, I can see that like, that level of restraint is is a wonderful thing and he should leave us wanting more but i did want more mm-hmm. just a little you know 10 more minutes and i and i would have been at at a 5 uh next up it's another auteur with uh, claire denis in both sides of the blade Both Sides of the Blade is a love triangle story about a woman caught between two men, her longtime partner and his best friend, who is her former lover. Uh, David, I recently saw you online calling Claire Denis the greatest living filmmaker. Is <laughs> Both Sides of the Blade up there with the, you know, proving that point? Well, well, you know, there, there might have been a little uh, tiny milligram of hyperbole in that, of course, just to, to sort of for, for emphasis um but no I, I i would stand by that like uh i think kind of uh film for film she has she has uh she has made many of my my all-time uh favorite favorite films of of certainly of of uh of the new century um uh i think that like you know in term in terms of anticipation like like you know for me going to like even though I don't think the film like fully delivered for me but like you know going to Cannes this year my the only thing that I really wanted to see was her new film The Stars at Noon which um uh you know we can we will I'm sure we'll come to a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. On, a, on, a, on another po- podcast at a later date, but... Um, so she, the, the, both sides of the blade was actually one that came out was was in Berlin earlier the earlier in the year and uh, yeah I mean it this she she kind of she, she's she's in this kind of phase of um, she's certainly trying to sort of make make more movies I guess like try, and or do do more with her time and she tends to have she's someone who doesn't you know she does make kind of difficult films then not necessarily commercial they. They uh, move in a way that is quite idiosyncratic and sometimes sort of anti-dramatic in a in in a kind of conventional way, and um, and I think it, I think she you know I think people maybe take for granted that she doesn't it's not very easy for her to to fund her films and get get money for them. I think she's probably the the fact that she's got so many great actors and actresses wanting to work with with her helps and that she can probably like you know bring on bring on the talent as a way to kind of get the the money the money in but i mean this is this is pure speculation on my part by the way so but yeah i mean so she 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 made this she made this film high life which was a kind of big sci-fi movie and and while she was kind of waiting for the money to come in for that she did she did this smaller film called um uh, let the sun shine in and you know both like it ended up that both films were. I mean, personally speaking, I thought both films were amazing. Like she, you know, the, the the little kind of doodle that she made while she was waiting to make the other film was as great as the as the big one. And this time round, it's like the the little the smaller film that she's made while while waiting to do the bigger film is prob is probably superior in this in this instance. Um, yeah, I mean, um, was made during the sort of latter latter stages of the pandemic and it has Binoche and Vincent Lindon and um Gregoire, Gregoire Collan who's one of her kind of uh in her sort of little traveling company uh, has been in was was in many many will know him as the kind of lead character in her film Beau Travail um uh well maybe sorry not lead character probably second second lead character after Denny Levant this is this is a this is an, a collaboration with a with a writer, author, and screenwriter Christine Agno, who she did uh, uh, um, let the sunshine in with, um, and there there basically seems to be an interest in kind of uh, you know slightly like slightly more mature middle aged women and their kind of tumultuous love lives, um, and the, the the setup is essentially. There's a couple. We 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 see them in the first scene of the film, and they are kind of like in in this kind of um, loving embrace in a in this kind of far flung lagoon on holiday. They they they're in total isolation. They have total kind of focus on each other's body and mind, and you know they're they're it, she almost comically lays out this kind of context of like this is this is a kind of pure kind of pure love between two people, and then it kind of hard cuts to them kind of falling back into their apartment with all their bags and, you know, sweatpants and, you know, they're, 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 they're back from the holiday. They're back from, they're back to reality and the kind of messy, 
domestic situation they're in with like um with 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 jobs and family and living situation kind of comes tumbling back to them and um you know you the, instantly you see these kind of petty tensions arise in 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 and uh, that, that weren't there in that opening scene and essentially the, the 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 thing that sets it off is that um binoche sees this guy while she's walking into work on a on a motorbike and she's just suddenly just besot like become become sort of obsessed with him like is is kind of besotted for for reasons that we kind of find out and and the film is essentially like talking about this idea of like you know if if we if we if we fall in love with someone do we do we, is it possible to fall out of love with them can we can we can we ever like hate someone that we loved uh despite what they've done is there is there something that kind of go that drills so deep into the kind of marrow of our of our bones that that we just cannot like psychologically physiologically overlook this this fact like even if we've moved on and we're with another person and we love that that person can we you know is it possible to like sever sever those ties with the with these kind of formative lovers and it just sort of plays out as this kind of um this this kind of this you know really intimate intense character piece uh that has a, that has a sort of element of like it, there's a sort of combustible element there with like Juliette Binoche's character where you kind of like you you may you know I, I think some people might watch the film and maybe not understand what she's doing and what drives her but like yeah there is a sort of like hint of madness there uh that you kind of have you, you that you you kind of you know some might buy some will buy and some some won't buy but yeah um I'm going to shut up now because I've, I've just looked at the, the, the clock and I've been like rat, rattling on for a long time. And I'll let Charles have his, uh, his, his, his shake of the stick. No, I mean, what's, what's still to say? It's, uh, <clears throat> I think um, you, you touched on this briefly, but the maturity of this film is really what drew me to it, that it is an incredibly sensual, self-assured, um, and I think instinctual romance uh, between people who are now in their 50s. Uh, and I think that when we see these films that are quote-unquote for grown-ups that are about love between divorcees, love between people in middle age, there's always sort of a self-consciousness that's like, oh, well, we're all a little bit older for this, but, you know, we're going to be falling in love, we're going to, like, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend. This is something where I think, uh, especially Benoja's character, has all of the desirousness and all of the um, impulsivity of youth and she brings that to this very intense love triangle that sort of forces her to choose between two versions of herself Um, and ultimately you know not to say too much but she uh, comes to ask herself whether or not she can find a third way uh, and in some ways life presents her with one beyond her own choosing but uh, yeah, I just think if you are someone who is at all invested in the filmography of Claire Denis, that this is really a, um, not a summation of her work, but it feels like a really significant continuation and advancement of her theories and techniques. Uh, you also see that in the cast, which you mentioned reunites with a lot of past collaborators, a couple that I don't know got a mention. Um, Mari Diop, who is now a filmmaker in her own right, who starred in 35 Runs. Uh, plays a pharmacist uh, in one of my favorite scenes in the film uh, and although she does not have much in the way of lines I don't think, uh, Lola Craton the great Lola Craton, really one of the most important French actresses of the early 2010s, late 2000s makes her first on-screen appearance in like a decade I think 
a very long time. So, the, I, know, I I have details on that. Yeah, please. Uh, let's. And, and if you don't, but I, I could. But uh, so, so I mean, I I did interview Claire for the film in the spring, and she was talking about uh, how Lola is was her neighbor for a long time. That they lived next door to one another, and that they were always you know had a very pleasant relationship. While Lola Quinton was, I believe, in medical school. What were you you know, I, I, I was about to re- recount your own interview to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, I read this interview by this, uh, by this shit hot journal, American journal, when it came out there. So, yeah, you were that journal. They've remained close over the years and that it was just a matter of uh, being like, so are you available? Like, can you come in for just a couple of days of shooting? And this is also during the thick of COVID, which is an interesting wrinkle in the film and how it fits into the knee of and that it is very much a sort of apprehensive film about how difficult it is to live in a world where you can't be touched. Uh, if you want to sort of work that angle into it, it's a lot about isolation and allowing yourself like the rush of connection after depriving yourself that much. Um, I, I really, I, I loved it a lot. I thought it was really moving uh, and, and just a very substantive film. Uh, I think with romances, I kind of, not a handicap, but I cut them a lot of slack in doing expected things. Because I feel like romance is giving me two people who I want to see together and then allow them to be together. And to whatever extent you come into cliche in the course of that, as long as it is still toward that main pleasure, it is what it is. But this is something that I think is so original and so unreliant on the genre and just goes through the act of bringing two people together with like just zero BS whatsoever uh, these are very real real people to me oh, that is beautifully put um, should we get some schools on this Charles you want to go first yeah I um, so High Life is actually uh, which was the previous film for this one if I'm not mistaken really one of my favorite Claire Denis films of all time so I came into this pretty high mm. I was thinking five anticipation uh, and then I would say for enjoyment, for in retrospect, uh, just because it did not quite, you know, bulldoze me the way that I think some of her, not not less humanistic, but the less human scaled ones. Like I like the really freaky. I like trouble every day and the vampirism. I like uh, Beaudrevai and all of the soldier madness. I love high life. Uh, and so, although you know, I definitely appreciate this, it does not quite push my buttons in the same way. So I'd say, yeah, four, four. David, what about you? Yeah, I I probably go similar similar um it, yeah it's it this is like this would be fives on any other scale but like i think on i feel like giving giving it all fives would be maybe underselling some of her, her other movies which are maybe yeah as you say interesting like high life is probably the the sort of the the connective tissue between between this and and uh, and, and crimes of the future i mean that that they, they that it, it feels Maybe, maybe more so than Titane, that High Life and Crimes of the Future would be like quite a nice double double header. Um, but uh, yeah, it's probably it's probably like five five four five. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 great. I mean, you know, she she she's she just doesn't 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 rarely doesn't deliver for me. I mean, I I'm I'm it's I'm a bit of a you know. It's gonna, it's you know, it's gonna be hard. Uh, it's 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 gonna be um, 
she'd have to make something extremely bad for, for me to to turn such my a, such up. as the stars at noon should we get no. those <laughs> no yeah that's what i was gonna say because actually my anticipation is a three because i saw this after i had seen a thousand people tweet that the stars at noon was the worst thing that had ever been shown at Cannes. No, yeah. okay, all right. Um, Let's everyone. I, I, I want everyone to dial the crank down a couple notches because I, I I want everyone to know that they can stake out the middle ground of this not being very good for Claire Denis while still being better than most people's movies yes. and certainly being better than most of the movies. Not not most, but many movies that have been shown in competition again. It's yeah. no Last Face, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> I had it was worse than Sea of Trees. Oh, I wouldn't no. say that. <laughs> Having seen Sea of no. Trees, I would not say that. I've seen both, and de- you know, definitely not. Um, I, I do think it also probably doesn't help that I think Joe Alwyn is one of the most disliked people on the internet, both by <laughs> the Taylor Swift stands and by the Taylor Swift haters. Wow. So it's nice that they can come together on that, I suppose. Um, yeah, fours um, for me on the other two regards. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was wonderful. I, l- I love Vincent Linden. He's, um, I was so excited to see him kind of preside over this year's, um, first, you know, this year's Cannes as the, being the jury president. It did seem like it wasn't the greatest lineup overall. I wasn't there, so kind of maybe that's no, just I'm, me I'm being jealous. I'm inclined to agree with you. I thought it was a weaker competition than I've seen in, in my years going to the festival, um, which I blame not on anyone in particular, but just on um, the reverse bottleneck of production during COVID is that I think we're now seeing the pause in production borne out in the release of movies. Well, fair enough. Hopefully next year we will all have a better time and Vincent Linden will still enjoy himself even though he isn't going to be jury present two years in a row. Next up, the one we've all been waiting for. (laughs) Street Trash! Street Trash. (laughs) A liquor store owner sells alcoholic beverages to homeless people unaware of what the bottles actually contain is a toxic brew. David, this was your choice for Film Club. Why did you want us to watch Street Trash? I mean, this is, this. you know, obviously when we talk about the, the uh, Film Club, when we're trying to kind of come up with the ideas, we do try and find a little kind of tenuous link between like one of the f- movies we're talking about this week and uh, the, uh, the, 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 the film itself. And this is very tenuous. This is, this is like borderline, not quite, you know, this is... This, this <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it is a body horror film. I mean, this is. I mean, it, it's it's actually. Un, I think it sits under a uh, a kind of sub sub genre of the body melt, yeah. uh, body melt sub genre. So, um, and it's a film that I watched. Uh, I, I've seen a couple of times now, and uh, I, me and my wife watched it the first time, um, and just had an amazing time. Like it was just like. Yeah, we just had an amazing time with it. It was it's just it's a it's just a really fun film. So it's like scrungy eighties set in set in kind of Brooklyn. In fact, Charles, I want I want to hear about the kind of the setting of this film and like the the meaning of of where it is set because it's quite. It, it, if I I don't know if I'm mistaken, but like where it is set in the film is depicted as quite a kind of horrendous place. Whereas right, now so. that's not the oh is it is is it still. Oh no, no, no! I mean, you've seized on the irony right off the bat, which is that this uh, the sectors of Brooklyn in which this is set uh, in what was this? This is the eighties, correct? Uh, yeah, 
These were, yeah, really derelict, uh, pretty rough neighborhoods, uh, and the punchline being that now, 40 years later, they are among the most expensive, you know, yeah. heavily gentrified <laughs> neighborhoods in Brooklyn that uh, I think there would be reports on next door if someone was drinking <laughs> bum wine and melted on someone's side. Uh, uh, but it is, no, it's a fantastic New York movie, if only for how it captures, I think, the spirit of the, you know, drop-dead, post-drop-dead New York when crime uh, outside of Manhattan was still being, you know, allowed to transpire as it will. You know, there was a laissez-faire attitude outside of the post-Dinkins Manhattan where they were trying to clean up Times Square and get, you know, the Disney store in there and get the, get the tourists in there. That trend, I think, um, in terms of the tourism, never really came to Brooklyn, but in terms of that gentrification would still take another couple of decades to make it uh, out of that borough. Uh, and so, yeah, in terms of, you know, a document of New York, it's a lot of fun like that. But it's also just, you know, as an independent art, it takes you back to an era in New York when people could just make cheap, dirty movies and get them released <laughs> and seen. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to my eyes. Yeah, I've been watching a, quite a lot of Kuchar um, Brothers stuff recently, and I'm really finding myself just loving... I suppose what you'd call like trash art. <laughs> I think it kind of kicked off with um, the Pink Flamingos revisit in many ways, and like I, I love the kind of grubbiness of this era. Um, David, are you a big fan of the sort of general kind of trashy eighty oh, movies? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm very, I'm, I, I'm, I think what I'm a fan of is 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 kind of tactile art, um, mm-hmm. and um, I, I just find all those 80s horror movies like where we did a big thing on the um video nasties like that some of those movies are are, you know are absolutely reprehensible and and awful but there is still like you know there's some some jesus franco movies that i watched that are just like dear god you know (laughs) what 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 who what or who uh allowed this to be made but like um there's still always something about it the fact that there is kind of like handmade tactile things happening on the screen that i just find very appealing and like you know as you you know going back to the sort of new york element of it it's like there is there is this kind of documentary element of the era you you know you watch a film like street trash and it is like it is like watching a sort of documentary of 80s filmmaking you know of 80s low budget horror filmmaking in and of itself and i think that that the, so the director of the film, he he's, he, he has dis, since disowned the film, sadly, because it's probably the greatest thing he's ever done. Um, and he is now... Um, so one of the, the things that's interesting about this film is, like, it, it's got really... It's a debut film. It was made on the back of a student short. He, 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 the, the camera is just, like, zooming around the place. He's has, he has all these kind of, like, tracking shots and and, and like you know 360 pans and like really like uh, of that sort of sam raimi sam raimi ilk you know that we'd seen in things like evil dead you know he's really going for it in terms of like mad you know all over the place camera work and um uh he he became uh james cameron's uh steady cam operator of choice uh for for all his big kind of um eight you know 70 mil films like the abyss and uh all, all his stuff, of, uh, all his kind of like delving deep into the into the, the 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 all his films about going going like going underwater in submarines. He he was involved in those as well. So, yeah, he's he's been yeah he Oscar nominated for like, um, what's it called? Um, Dances with Wolves. You know, he's he's had this like he he went on at, to have the most kind of 
MOR career possible, like very, very kind of in with with the sort of the big um, prestige talent. But yeah, this this movie, I think the thing that I love about it the most. So you have these sequences where these 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 winos are drinking this. Like I think it's it's supposed to be Agent Orange. The whole film is basically like. Uh, a, a, a Vietnam, like, yeah, because yeah, we see a lot of uh, former yeah. vets who are roaming around. Yeah. yeah, it's it's got that kind of Rambo vibe, like the guys who came back and weren't able to adapt to to, to society. And there's like interesting that the the main antagonist of the film is this kind of tragic. Is actually you know he's doing things like pulling people out of their cars and like smashing their heads into the window and like you know just murdering random people. Um, but actually, you, you know, there is this kind of extended Nam flashback sequence where you kind of discover that he is this completely, you know, he's kind of psychotic and is is, is trapped in this nightmare of Nam. Um, uh, and and you know that 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 kind of a theme underpins all this stuff. But like, yeah, it's just really funny. It's like you have these big sort of like gloopy set pieces where the the guys are drinking this like napalm uh, by accident and then just melting, and then there's always something very funny that happens just after it. Like, I mean, it's hard to explain, but like he is, he is a master of like extending the joke, just that extra beat. And, you know, last thing I want to say, one of my all time favorite scenes is there's, there's a a sequence middle of the film where like a cop is, is having a fist fight with a, like a mafia capo. And they're, they're, they're just having this fist fight and it's going on and on. And, it's it's a fairly kind of routine fist fight, and it gets to the end, and the cop wins, and he and and as his kind of like um, coupe de grace, he, he grabs the the, the 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 mafia guy, drags him in, into a urinal, and you think he's going to piss on him, but actually he sticks his fingers down his throat and vomits on him, <laughs> and it's just and then but the funny thing then after that the the camera pans around and there is a guy sat in the stool just watching this happen. So it's like, it it just has, it just works on so many levels. Like it's, it's just that scene. is just perfect comedy gold. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly very, (laughs) very funny, but um, for me, the thing that I almost found most surprising, because I, you know, I was pretty shocked how long this film was. I assumed we were in for like a tight 80 minutes. Um, But I didn't get bored of watching people melt. There was no melt fatigue. Like, even when we get right up to the end and there's a particularly rough one from, uh, you know, um, an unhoused woman, shall we say. (laughs) Um, Like, I was just there for every single time somebody took a swig of that toxic brew. I was, you know, get get, excited. It's happening again. You get two big ones at the beginning. And then you may you pr- you pretty much get like an hour where there's no melting. There's all this other plot stuff happening, but then he just goes full full bore. You know, it's like there's a there's a melt every like five minutes to the point where it just gets ridiculous. Like it's like every single person just hap- like comes happens across this little bottle that they can't resist drinking. <laughs> and and it's like how many more people is this going to happen to? And it just keeps going. And it's just hilarious yeah and word never gets out uh (laughs) charles 
Yeah, yeah. Did it ever kind of get too ridiculous for you? Or? No, I think it is a beautifully grody film. I think the word grody has already been used, but it is just like among the dirtiest, sweatiest, slimiest movies I can think of, which I appreciate. Um, which makes me appreciate, you know, which David had mentioned, the Vietnam elements all, all, all that much more, because it really does seem like such a ramshackle production who everyone involved was just out of their mind having a good time. But I think there really is uh, something serious to say uh, about this. The year before Street Trash came out uh, in, in 86, there was a Canadian-American TV film called The Park is Mine, in which a young Tommy Lee Jones plays a homeless Vietnam vet who goes on a sort of spree and takes over Central Park to sort of prove how the American government left a lot of the servicemen who had given a lot of themselves to the war effort just to rot in the 70s. And then by the 80s, uh, a lot of these pathologies had festered and, and gotten a lot worse. And so it's not quite a mini genre, but it's I think these two articulate a real current in America, that there was like unrest, there was a bad vibe in the air, and that as much as the American bourgeoisie wanted to believe that if you ignore the homeless problem, as it's so-called, uh, it will go away, uh, I think the opposite is true, that if, you know, left untended, if the hope is just that if, if you ignore people long enough, they will die, uh, they'll do a lot before that, and, and they get their shots in, which I think is kind of bracing when you see it in this context. They, uh, they will so, melt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are not going to melt. Um, and so, yeah, I really like it. You know, it's uh, you talked about a video nasty, emphasis on the nasty. I like that a yeah. lot. Well, um, it has been quite the week. I'm very glad you enjoyed that, Charles. I've got to say, in the meeting um, where it was chosen, David's first thing was like, Charles is going to love this. <laughs> it was he knows me very well. I mean, it was the kind of thing where I was watching it and I was like, how have I not seen this or even heard of this before? I was surprised. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is because, um, at least so in the UK, it's available. In the US, this is not available to stream. This is a very hard movie to see. Um, you can't, you know, whether paying, streaming channels. Uh, it's it's tough to track down in the U.S. Well, yeah. if anybody from Criterion is listening, <laughs> we would... Vinegar <laughs> Syndrome, whoever, <laughs> yeah. So if you've got thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, George Clooney and Julia Roberts have a ticket to paradise. Owen Klein makes his feature directorial debut with Funny Pages, while for Film Club, it's the Coen brothers at their most mainstream with romantic comedy, intolerable cruelty. Thanks very much for tuning in, and if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were David Jenkins and Charles Romesco. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.